I got out of the bath, I sat down on the bed and felt very strange, like I wasn't quite myself. And I suddenly realised that I was completely unable to move my left arm. I remember the nurses asking me questions and all I could respond with was slurring noises, which of course no one could understand at all. And I felt very trapped and disorientated. I remember almost feeling angry that I couldn't respond or communicate with anyone. I was told that due to the amount of blood thinning medication I was on at the time, I wouldn't be able to ride horses again, which ultimately meant I couldn't continue working with them. So I lost my job. That was a huge deal for me because that was my absolute passion. So not only did I lose what I loved doing, but at the time I also lost my job, so I had no income. If you keep positive, it makes a difference. If I just sort of sat there and gone, that's it, that's me done now, I would have never been able to do half the things I've done. And I think it sort of makes you realise that life is too short when you have an experience like this and you've just got to take it and enjoy it. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. One of the most common after-effects of stroke is fatigue. Half of survivors report suffering from it in the months following their stroke, and it can make everyday life very hard to navigate. It also makes going back to work more difficult. One in six stroke survivors experience a loss of income after their stroke. After a stroke, patients sometimes find there aren't enough resources to help them while they recover. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Vicky Hewlett, who suffered a stroke at the age of 20. I used to be a horse riding instructor, and I worked at a stable yard not too far away from my house, and it was a real passion for me. I studied at a college, and I loved it. It was just great fun. And had quite an active job, obviously, because I was working with the horses. And at the time, I couldn't have imagined doing anything else. My day started off so normally. I'd been horse riding and mucking out at work. I drove home. My boyfriend, Chris, had just started getting dinner ready. So whilst he was doing that, I went and had a bath because I normally came home smelling of horses. When I got out of the bath, I sat down on the bed and felt very strange, like I wasn't quite myself. And I suddenly realised that I was completely unable to move my left arm. So I shouted to Chris, who came running upstairs, and I think he could hear the fear in my voice. It wasn't quite just me shouting at him. And he started to squeeze my arm in order to get the feeling to come back, which after about 30 seconds it did. And we both came to the conclusion that it must have been a trapped nerve. I mean, you don't instantly sort of jump to the conclusion that it's a full-blown stroke, especially at my age, because it, it just seemed so strange. And about two minutes later, I lost all the use of my left arm and leg, and I was totally paralysed on that side. Thinking back now, I remember Chris catching me because I just went to fall to the ground and my leg was just unable to support me and I remember him saying oh just 
just smile for me. I tried to smile and then I realised by the look on his face I wasn't smiling. I was also, my face was completely paralysed as well on the left side. I went to speak and all that came out was slurring noises. At that moment we both sort of realised the severity of the situation and we had to act pretty quickly. So he picked me up and carried me to his car, almost like a fireman sort of would pick up a child. <laughs> he drove me straight to the hospital, which was the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Harlow. From there, it almost seems just like a blur. Everything just seemed so surreal. Um, I remember the nurses asking me questions and all I could respond with was slurring noises, which, of course, no one could understand at all. And I felt very trapped and disorientated. I remember almost feeling angry that I couldn't respond or communicate with anyone. As the evening went on, my speech came back, as did the feeling in my arm and leg. And they began running tests to determine what had happened. And they kept me in hospital overnight. And that was basically the night, the night from hell. Despite Vicky's condition, doctors were still unsure what had caused it. In the morning, I had a huge migraine and they just sort of continued with tests and things and it went on for a very long time. I stayed in hospital for about a month. I mean, when they initially told me, they took me and my partner into because we didn't know I'd had a stroke until the day after. And they sort of sat us down in this room and we found it very strange because it just all seemed very serious. And when they actually sat me down and said, Victoria, I'm so sorry, but you've had a stroke. I just remember my heart dropped and I couldn't understand like why. I just remember thinking, why has this happened to me? I'm 20 years old. This shouldn't happen to me. They moved me up into a ward where most of the people were a lot older than me. I think it's safe to say. And I think probably going past 70 and one of the nurses said to me, I think you're the youngest girl to ever walk through this ward. I just remember following weeks coming, more tests. I couldn't even go to the toilet by myself. They wouldn't even let me walk to the toilet. I had to be wheeled there. And I think it was more, even though I had the feeling back in my arm, I was just so weak and they wouldn't let me do anything by myself. I just felt very frustrated because... These are things I do on a day-to-day -day basis, and I felt like I was almost being told what to do. I'm not very good at being told what to do. <laughs> very independent person, so I wasn't the best patient, but I did try my best. <laughs> Vicky found the situation frustrating, but her family were there to support her. I felt like I could do everything myself, but obviously because of the underlying problem that they couldn't pinpoint what the issue was, I was just completely bedridden and not allowed to do anything they eventually let me out of the hospital after about a month and they still couldn't pinpoint what had caused the stroke it was just very surreal I mean my family was so supportive and they said don't worry it'll be okay they'll find out what's happened and they were in the Channel Islands I mean I lived with my boyfriend at the time who I was so grateful that he was there and He's him and my mum and dad, they were just amazing. They were flying back and forth from the Channel Islands to see me and support me while I was in hospital and also after. 
they always said, don't worry, we'll catch the first flight out. I mean, when I moved over, it was sort of like a, I was a teenager and I wanted to just come and do whatever. But I think they were just great. I don't think it even mattered to them. They were just there for me every step of the way. If I needed them there, they would have caught the first flight out. They just would have been there for me. It's made us all a bit stronger in some ways, I think, because everybody sort of pulled together and really helped out. And yeah, I think everyone stayed very positive and yeah, really, really helped us. And my family also helped Chris because it's not easy for families as well who go through the same thing because it's also a huge ordeal for them. They don't really know what's happened or what it feels like. And they also felt very lost because they couldn't relate to what I was going through. But in some ways, they really could at the same time. And yeah, it was just, it was very scary for them as well. And I'm, I was so grateful they stayed very positive for me because it must have been very hard on some occasions just to keep me at bay when I was feeling really, really sad. They were always there and they just helped me through it. We were just still waiting for the results to come back. Still months after, we were no closer to finding out what happened. And in the meantime, I'd also tried to return to work at the stables and I was told that due to the amount of blood thinning medication I was on at the time I wouldn't be able to ride horses again which ultimately meant I couldn't continue working with them so I lost my job that was a huge deal for me because that was my absolute passion so not only did I lose what I loved doing but at the time I also lost my job so I had no income I couldn't have lifted a hay bale or I mean, the muscle deterioration is very rapid and it, you just have to re, sort of retrain everything. And for about a couple of years after, there was one sort of thing that I had where the end of my pointer finger, I couldn't feel it. It was completely numb for about two years after the stroke. And that has finally come back. I can feel it again. It is like, and it, that was very odd, just out of all things to not feel afterwards. It was my pointer finger. I just felt very lost and sort of very vulnerable to not knowing what to do. I just remember there were some days where I was so nervous and the blood thinning medication made me very ill. I lost nearly a stone in weight. I remember going outside and sitting in the cold weather to try and make sure that I could still feel my arm and I would do like I would go and sit on the pavement outside my house and make myself feel cold so I could feel the cold and feel that my arm and my leg was still working and it was just the most surreal thing. Finally after about six months after I had the stroke I went for a test called a bubble echocardiogram and this revealed a hole in between the chambers of my heart, which is what they call a PFO. I was told it should have closed after birth and never did. And it's quite a common thing in young people, which causes strokes. And it's like a small flap that causes a blood clot, which obviously travelled to my brain and stopped the oxygen flow, ultimately causing me to have the stroke. If it weren't for my family and my friends, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Once we found out what happened, I thought my, my main drive was, I'm going to get off this medication, I'm going to ride horses again. And I think when you're passionate about something like that, it's a huge 
asset to your recovery. I think if I didn't have that, I would have no drive. Also, once I found out that it was a heart defect, I was very like conscious of the fact, you know, I was hypervigilant over things like I'd feel my heart beating really quickly and I'd feel tired and I'd suddenly have really heavy breathing and I'd think, oh, like, but I think it was more myself actually making these issues sort of arise because I was so nervous and didn't know what was happening. But they did give me the some good news that they could fix it with a surgery called a PFO closure. And I was so relieved to find out that I was actually going to have it all fixed and there was no risk of or lower risk of me having another stroke. Vicky is now back at work and on a new career path. I work for a liner agency and it's never something that I imagined myself doing, but it makes all the difference when you have a supportive company who understands and, you know, I still go for regular checkups at the hospital. I have to go once a year just to check that everything's still in place and everything's still working and they're very supportive they they completely understand when I need to do these things and it's just nice to be surrounded by people who are supportive and I absolutely love it I'm pretty much back to normal if not 10 times better now I've had the surgery as well and I still get very tired and I have to have a good sleep like I sort of get to the point at about half eight in the evening and um I feel like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a granny, and I sit there and I go, I, I think I need to go to bed. And Chris, my boyfriend, he's very good, and he says, "Oh yeah, of course, no problem." He he understands completely that I need a little bit more rest than I used to, but I was able to come off my medication after I had the surgery, and I'm now only on a small amount of blood thinners, so it's only just a small amount to thin my blood just as a precaution. And the good news is I'm now riding horses again. So I've been able to take it back up as a hobby. I don't think I could do it as a job anymore, unfortunately, because I just don't have the strength I used to have. But it's just still nice to enjoy it and be able to have it as a, as a hobby. I think I've stayed fairly positive, And I think if you keep positive, it makes a difference. If I just sort of sat there and gone, that's it, that's me done now, I would have never been able to do half the things I've done. And I think it sort of makes you realise that life is too short when you have an experience like this and you've just got to take it and enjoy it. Despite the uncertainty around Vicky's stroke and the difficulties it caused at work and at home, the support of her boyfriend Chris and her parents, who were able to travel from the Channel Islands to see her, was crucial in getting her back on her feet. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Vicky explains the difficulty of meeting other young stroke survivors. I was expecting a lot of people, like I got offered young stroke groups, but even then they were sort of above 40 and I just felt very lonely because I, I just wanted to talk to somebody who was the same age as me who had sort of had the same thing happen to them. And she explains how speaking out can help your recovery. It's okay to talk to people about it and share your experiences because sometimes talking about it makes you feel so much better. 
Let's hear how Vicky connected with fellow stroke survivor and Stroke Stories contributor, Chris Curry. Once I was sort of given the all clear and I was, I was able to exercise and do things again, I did a fun run um, to raise some money for the Stroke Association. Um, just to say thank you and, you know, for all the support they gave to me and my family at the time. And Chris was one of the people who commented and said, wow, you know, you're, you're doing great. And it's, it's great to see that you're, re- you're fully recovered. And he's been through a lot. So it's nice to, you know, see other people also going through the same thing as you and sharing that journey. And everybody's journey is so different. And yeah, it really seems like he's he's beating the odds. He's done an incredible job and he's staying so positive throughout, so I'm very proud. I think I was so scared because I didn't think there would be anyone with the same age sort of group as me. And I was expecting a lot of people, like I got offered young stroke groups, but even then they were sort of above 40. And I just felt very lonely because I... I just wanted to talk to somebody who was the same age as me, who had sort of had the same thing happen to them. During her recovery, Vicky was also contacted by the Stroke Association. They contacted me as soon as I was out of the hospital. They were, from day one, I pretty much had a pamphlet through the door and they said, look, we're here, here's our helpline number. If you need to call us, call us. And I was offered a stroke group um, ran in very close by to where I live in Bishop Stortford and they were also very supportive and they didn't pressure me to go they just said if you want to we're here if not then obviously we completely understand and if you need a chat just give us a call and I pretty much decided from that I didn't want to go because I wasn't I wasn't ready but I think now I could definitely go and share my experiences and I'm a lot more confident now. In fact, it's the past year I think I've met more people from just the Stroke Association website alone who have also been through the same thing as me, one of them being my friend Shannon, who had her surgery a few weeks ago. She's also a huge inspiration. She's done an incredible job and Unfortunately, the NHS are now not able to fund the surgery that I had. So poor Shannon sort of had to go through and try and raise the money herself, but also try and raise awareness about the surgery and make sure that people know how vital it is to the recovery. And it just saves lives. It just, I think it's one of those things that is so sad because it would be lovely to see the government fund it again to help other people just like us. I think if I'd just let people in a bit more and sort of listened to what everyone was going through, I probably would have felt a lot more secure and I wouldn't have felt so alone. I think it would have helped a lot and sped up the recovery as well. But like I say, my family were there for me and I felt like I didn't need many other people to sort of be involved with my process and I think I I probably just wanted to you know keep it quiet until I was ready to talk about it with other people and I was just always very shy I think. I had a lot of support from many groups and from the hospitals and even 
the surgeons after I had my heart surgery said to me that, you know, if you have any questions or anything like that, just let us know. I think the only thing that upset me initially was not having a ward where I could go like a almost a child's ward because even though I was 20 I think it would have been nice to almost be with people who were a similar age to me and because everybody's sort of mixed it's very rare that you get anyone who's the same age and I I just I remember lots of people coming in and out sort of looking at me because it was a shared ward and sort of looking at me thinking gosh why like why is she here you know like she can't be in here she looks too young but I think it is just quite surprising how many people do have strokes this young and people underestimate it and they don't realize it can happen to them when sadly enough it, it really can and it's not just age that is a factor towards it it can be so many different underlying health problems that people just don't realize they have and there's nothing you can do about it it's nobody's fault it's just one of those things and sadly it's I think there's not enough awareness about it for young people finally Vicky has advice for other young stroke survivors there are people out there who have been through the same thing. There's a lot of pages. There's a lot of support groups. And it's okay to talk to people about it and share your experiences because sometimes talking about it makes you feel so much better. Also, maybe even talking to each other, like to the person who has suffered the stroke, if they're sort of struggling, you know, like with their feelings or anything like that, just keep communicating with each other and each day will get better and better it's just time and recoveries take I mean sometimes they take such a long time and it's very hard and I just think talking and staying positive is the best way. Vicky's stroke was close to completely taking away her livelihood and stopping her doing the things she loved But after an incredible recovery, she is riding horses again and has discovered a new career in the liner industry. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search online for The Stroke Association. For a dedicated webpage, search NHS Strokes. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe, rate and comment because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast is produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.